Hi, folks. A shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week, we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello, fabulous people of the Take On Board community. Look, I know, I know. I said last week this was the final podcast for Take On Board 2022. And now here I am again in your ears. So I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts during the summer period. There's road trips that have loads of listening time. There's walks that have loads of listening time. Or maybe it's just downtime on the couch with the earpods in. And during the year, I have a ridiculous list of podcasts to listen to. It's like that pile of books that sits on the bedside table that, you know, kind of just haunts you when you don't get to them. Then over summer, you might get to that bedside table and that pile of books or like me, and because you're listening to this, I'm thinking you are, you get to work on your listening. So quite often over summer, I run out of podcasts to listen to and I don't like that. So this year, dear Take On Board community, I don't want to leave you short of listening. So I'm rerunning some of the most popular episodes from the last 12 months. Loads of summer listening to keep you entertained. Our summer series is three episodes, all of which cover a different aspect of governance. One on technical knowledge, one on support in the boardroom, and one on emotional intelligence in the boardroom. In terms of technical knowledge, we'll hear from Bryn O'Brien on one of the big governance issues of our time, ESG, or environmental, social and governance factors in the boardroom. In terms of support in the boardroom or outside the boardroom, we'll hear from Megan May on the importance of mentoring. And finally, in terms of all things emotional intelligence, we'll hear from Cassandra Kelly on hugs in the boardroom. And if you're new to the Take On Board podcast, well, feel free to go right back to the start. I'll link to the first four episodes in the show notes. In episode one, there's Sandra Loder on depth and breadth in the boardroom. In episode two, we feature Rachel Lowry on getting clear on your intentions in joining a board. Episode three is the fabulous Michelle Shepard on how to not let imposter syndrome get in your way to the boardroom. And then episode four, Llewellyn Prane, which was actually the first podcast I recorded on courageous questions in the boardroom. As I say, I don't want you running out of listening options. I also can't miss the opportunity to encourage you to join us in our flagship program, Take On Board Accelerator. If you're in the boardroom and you're looking for a brains trust, cheer squad and governance sounding board, then the Take On Board Accelerator program is for you. You'll join nine other women or non-binary board members in a monthly session to grow your governance wisdom. It's all run via Zoom, so you can join from wherever you are in the world. Early bird prices apply for all of January. 
although note that some of the groups have already filled and others have very limited spaces. So get on it as soon as you can. There's a link in the show notes or get in touch for more information. I'd love to welcome you to the group. Alrighty, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Cassandra Kelly about love and kindness in the boardroom. First, let me tell you about Cassandra. Business and leaders who dare to challenge the status quo and solve the most complex problems leverage Cassandra to accelerate their impact and to find the extra confidence required to make difficult and important decisions. Cassandra is the chair of the Treasury Corporation of Victoria, a director of Pink Hope, Pottinger and EU Global Tech Panel. She's got a long list of previous boards, including All Press Espresso, Flight Centre and Women in Banking and Finance. She uses her global experience and her own mix of compassion, empathy and commitment to action to help leaders and their management teams define meaningful and exciting futures and to achieve them. Her cut through and ability to inspire and compel organisations has resulted in numerous accolades, including her recent Order of Australia. Her determination to invest in the advancement and fulfilment of women is soon to reach new levels as she prepares for the launch of her latest venture, fuelled by her view that women cannot wait for systems to change and rather need a guide to help them navigate through the fatigue and towards success. As she says, success is a campaign. Cassandra lives in New York with her three children. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Cassandra. Thank you very much. It is fabulous to have you here and indeed, I'm going to come back to your new venture in a minute, but I'm going to ask the about you first. So as always, before we dig a bit deeper about love and kindness in the boardroom, I want to dig a bit deeper about you. Can you share with me a little about your life growing up? What lessons did you learn and how has this impacted the way in which you seek to have influence today? Thank you. I guess so many people dive into the professional journey and really it's it's just so much less meaningful than when you start with the context of someone growing up and what they've made that mean. As you said, I live in New York now, but I actually grew up in a, in a small beachside suburb called Collaroy Beach in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. You know, I guess to think of what my life was like, I went to the local public school up on the plateau, as they called it. Probably my major wardrobe was a bikini with a towel wrapped around my neck. My mother was a teacher, a very, very intelligent woman, and my father was a policeman, and he later became a barrister, but, uh, you know, so a teacher and a policeman. Mum, super bright. Dad, very gentle, sober, and not very gentle, drunk. And, you know, I guess there were three of us at the beginning and then four, and we lived 
in a fibro house on the hill with gorgeous views, not a lot of extra cash to spend on the finer things in life, but still we found moments of joy amongst our turmoil. You know, what did I make that mean? To be a fixer, to be a good girl. I made it mean the need for financial security, safety in relationships, to minimise regret, not to hold back or wait, to stand up for what's right. And as I sort of reflect on some of the things I've just said to you now, not all of those uh, set me up for success. That was just a kid processing what it, it meant. And, you know, I'd urge anyone to revisit expectations or patterns that you set up as a child and, frankly, as you go through life, because sometimes we need to change those expectations that we set of ourselves, let alone those that others set on us. So among that, however, I became quite entrepreneurial because money wasn't abundant. I wanted to be self-reliant independent because that felt like it would be safer. But once I had enough money to feel the sense of freedom in my 20s, I then realised that the most significant choice uh, I had not yet made, and that was to really actually know who I was, to go back to the six-year-old girl standing on the beach who knew she, who she was. Perhaps that's the most poignant thing that my childhood taught me, which was the courage to reassess and the courage to rebel even against myself. Uh, and so I'll often tell people, and it's probably for another day, but I'll tell them we're often too often defined by what we have done because they're the stories that often get told. But I suspect my story is more about what I've left undone than all the things that you can point to because they're in the press or you can put them on your CV. And so, you know, I'm grateful to that courageous little six-year-old that resurfaced in my 20s. Mm. Oh, my God, there is so much in there already. I love that, the courage to rebel against yourself. You know, and I take from that some of those things that you learnt in your childhood that you're like, I am not going to take those lessons on. I'm going to go beyond that as I get to know my true self. And in your 20s, that still is quite young to be learning some of those incredible life lessons. In your 20s, that is quite young. How did that happen? Love and kindness is, is a vital part of my upbringing. Thankfully, mm. I'm very lucky that I had much love and kindness shown towards me. But I had to show and learn to show much more of that towards myself to mm. save a little bit of love and kindness uh, for me. And it was out of necessity. Uh, I didn't have a big family. Uh, I had mum and dad and my sister. My sister was a lot younger and needed looking after mm. by me predominantly when she got into her later teenage years. I, you know, I had to unlearn. You know, I had to hurry up and evolve. I had to go and ask people, look in the mirror, say, is this as good as it gets? Have I set my course correctly? Is there anything that I could do better you know is there a wounded child as they might call it now I didn't know those words back then but mm. all sorts of things that I just had to reassess revisit and I felt a sense of urgency to do it because it was I could feel that there was some legacy some really fantastic that I needed to embrace and some that I probably needed to set aside and move on from mm. in order that I could actually fulfill my dream of this concept of making a difference and so, yes, it happened in my 20s, partly out of 
need to be a good sister and a good colleague and a good person to myself. Mm. Well, I can totally see how we landed on love and kindness in the boardroom being the topic for today because it's clearly something that has been a thread throughout, including, as you rightly say, love and kindness to yourself, which is so important for everybody, I think. Indeed, I think you said something about how you need to have some left over for yourself. Sometimes keeping that at the core and the centre and starting with that helps enormously for those around you and for that learning or the unlearning, as you say, about some of the lessons we learn as we grow up. Incredible. So what that says to me is there is amazing strength in you as well to take that on at such a young age in all of those. So it doesn't surprise me at all about where you've ended up with some of your roles. Oh, and indeed, we will get to love and kindness in the boardroom. Your new venture. I read it out as part of your bio but I don't know what it is and I'd love to and I'm sure others would too. So this new venture to, you know, advance and fulfil women, tell me. So it will come as no surprise given the people that choose to listen to this podcast and those that, uh, that are in your network and people you care about that some of the experiences I've had or that I've heard about are not unique. And of course, we all have our own story that when all the component parts put together, they are unique, but there's lots we can learn from others. And as you just talked to me about then, I guess I didn't have that in my 20s. So I think, uh, you know, I paid for advice <laughs> largely, which was very good advice. I was very fortunate. But imagine what we could do if women had someone that did understand, that has been down some of the roads to accelerate their own sense of fulfillment and success, who is safe and who has practical suggestions. And so, you know, with that as sort of a a bit of my background, that's one part. The other thing I would sort of say is important is, you know, the context to it is, you know, we're doing a lot and that's important to try and fix the system. But as we know, it won't happen in our lifetime and it's very, very slow. Uh, There's much resistance and all the things that we well know about. And people like myself and many others that are on your podcast, including yourself, are busy trying to fix the system, inverted commas, improve the system. But so what that sometimes leads to is people sitting there waiting. And I don't want women to wait because they'll be waiting forever. Mm. And so what I'd like them to do is say, you don't need to, uh, the exhaustion that we're feeling, particularly after the COVID times, uh, which are going to go on, sadly, for years to come. This exhaustion, this feeling stuck, this almost a sense of uh, resignation to where we're at, uh, if any of those things are something that you're feeling or you're feeling restless, there is actually something you can do. You can show some love and kindness towards yourself. With the help of other people, including someone like me, you can learn how to set that successful destination, how to know what matters to you and how to set yourself up for that, as we were saying, uh, the campaign for success. So what are those steps? It's quite tactical. You don't have to feel like it's an overwhelming and unreasonable attainment. So, yes, I'm very excited to be soon launching uh, one of my first courses with women. Uh, Although I live in America because of my fondness and connection to Australia, I'm actually going to run it with Australian women first, which is really important to me. I will look forward to helping women 
who are looking for a better way to wake up tomorrow, a better plan, a better blueprint to develop that and get on with uh, fulfilling it and carrying it up. Oh, fantastic. Well, you must let me know when that is live because I have no doubt there will be women in the Take On Board community that are interested in it. So I'll make sure I'll share it as well. So, look, we've we've touched so much on love and kindness already, but, you know, I was reflecting in preparing for this that when I first met you a few weeks ago, the last thing I expected to be talking to the chair of the Treasury Corporation of Victoria about was love and kindness in the boardroom. You know, a hard-nosed economic organisation. I thought it'd be about, I don't know, productivity or efficiency or those sorts of concepts. But we talked about love and kindness and how important it is in the boardroom. So having heard some of your background, it totally makes sense to me about how some of this has become important to you. But how did it become important to you or how did you make that connection about it in the boardroom? I think I made the connection first in business because I was in business before I was in the boardroom. There wasn't a leap between childhood and sitting in a boardroom. (laughs) So I made that connection because you'd look around and you'd see decision-making capability, the people who were making them. I'd scratch my head thinking, how did they arrive at that decision? How did they not take X, Y, or Z into account? How are people not asking about morale as a key question? But it's nonsensical to me and it can't give rise to the best decisions. So I remember thinking about that in business. There would be the odd person I would look up to and and respect, and I noticed that there was something different about them. If we sort of think about it, it's only been very recently and with particularly with technological invention that I think businesses, I guess, have changed fairly substantially. You know, for a traditional business, there was skill, not interpersonal skill at this point, but really skill, knowing your uh, subject matter, that was very heavily rested upon. And years in the job, you know, years in the job and knowledge of your particular area. Now, that meant that you were going to stay in an organisation for longer, you gained lots and lots of knowledge, you didn't need to have a very rich and vibrant network because your workplace was your network. And so it sort of hasn't really occurred to people until recently, I think, that actually this network word is really important and the vibrancy of that network. So I think that has what has led to some people looking at the role for empathy and compassion and vulnerability and authenticity in business. And so just in the way it doesn't make sense to me that you change your behaviour once you sit on a board, it it, it never made sense to me that you would put your game face on, that people would have the at-home face and then the at-work face. Yeah. And Uh, So I guess what I'm asking of people is to remember to be human, to bring yourself to work. Now, I'm not asking you to discuss the banal details at all times uh, or in a, you know, TMI, as they call it, too much information, you know, oversharing at times, you know, knowing the balance. But there's there's a degree of which sharing a little bit of our real selves, you know, just bringing that to the room actually makes for a safer more joyful environment, which then de-risks decision-making. So anyway, I I strongly believe that the best decision-making comes from people that feel safe and secure and who learn to trust each other 
based on not just our technical skills, but our interpersonal skills, the way in which we handle conflict, chaos, and not just fair weather sailors. So mm. I would just start there. So I'm wondering, like, you're the chair of Treasury Corp. Therefore, and I always think that the, the chair of a board is, you know, key to the way that board comes together. How do you encourage that? How does that work in practice? It probably won't surprise you to know it's so similar to how you would encourage it if you were the CEO. Yeah. When you do your board review, you review people based on it. You know, you measure it, you talk about it, you make it a signal, whatever language you want to use. You, you know, something that you actually say, how, how are we behaving and how are you behaving against this particular metric, which is kindness and decency and compassion and respectfulness. Yeah. And so we monitor it. And, you know, I was very fortunate when I joined the board that aside from the board itself, there were some key ingredients. One was the management team and all colleagues and employees of TCV. There was an absolutely intentional culture of care and kindness. So, yes, very technical, very important roles, really deeply part of the financial services universe and so often people just think of very technical and behind the desk sort of people and yes we've got the traders and we've got the compliance units and all of the things that you would expect in a financial services business and the rigor that goes with that but the culture that they set well before I got there was an intentional culture mm. an intentional culture of, of kindness compassion and decency and all those other words respectfulness and care that I talked about Mm. So it was perfect because I believe in all of those things. And so fortunately, I was welcomed by the management team to make sure that that existed at our board. Mm. And the former chair did hand over and say, I would be disappointed if you kept it all the same. The whole point about handing over the chair to another one is for them to bring their flavour. And, and that's a wonderful thing for the chairman to have said to me, like, it's not obvious. And uh, he didn't take it as a personal affront if I did change it, he would be more worried if I didn't. So when, you know, with the benefit of having been the deputy chair for a few months, I was able to sit back and think, okay, what would I like to see? And I felt there was a slight incongruence at that point in time between the focus that we spent at the boardroom in terms of some of those softer issues mm -hmm. and that that the organisation was doing. So it didn't take much really other than talking about it role modeling it you know so I, I think there are some people that would say that you know I would come in and with permission uh, and in front of everyone hug them and oh back in the old days when you could see people and hug people oh I remember those days sorry go on <laughs> exactly and there's hugging and hugging so you know so I, I believe that the hugging we do is is very healthy and much appreciated so bringing back some of that fit you know the physical signs of delight and joy, the compliments, the inquiring about someone's well-being, mm -hmm. space if there was something going on, good or bad in someone's life, to discuss it, to demonstrate care, compassion or joy for them. And so role modelling, it was important, talking about it and getting agreement with anyone and then monitoring it. You don't say it and that you know, people say set and forget. You know, if you actually want to truly have that culture, you have to intentionally monitor it and go, are we living up to what we said? And are management seeing us do that? And it's been a marvellous thing. So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it took all of us to do it. It was me that was hoping I could bring slightly more of it to the table. And it was everyone at that table who embraced it and has, and every day through their behaviour makes it possible to, to have that culture persist. You talked earlier about how having this vibe, <laughs> this feel in the boardroom, this way of working in the boardroom, this more human way of working in the boardroom, kind of helps when there is confrontation and chaos. My guess is there's actually less confrontation and chaos when you've got this way of working. But I'm wondering if there's an example when there has been confrontation or even chaos where you've observed that this way of working in the boardroom has helped you to work through that with the board. Most definitely. I'm, I've paused to, to think because, of course, there are so many examples that you know I could draw on from different organisations and I won't use the name or, or pull any one out in particular. But when you're doing something exciting or on the board of something exciting, good things and less good things will happen. You know, uh, you won't win at something you'd hope to win at or succeed at. And that in itself, you know, it doesn't have to be something more terrible than disappointment. As we see with boards, you know, currently, you know, data goes awry and or there's something, you know, that that creates chaos. And then, of course, there can be illness of key employees. There can be fraud and all sorts of things in different boards that we see around. I think the common theme for the things when they've gone less well at any of the boards that I've been at, the ones that have worked well is where obviously there's transparency. There's a commitment to no surprises, not meaning that we won't all get a surprise or the management team might not get a surprise, but that if there is one that is that it is quickly brought to the attention of the board. So I think having an environment, well, I'm very certain actually, that having an environment of safety and trust and care, mutual care, allows for people to truly live that no surprises culture and bring it to you so that you can then help be part of the solution or amelioration of the situation. So yes, there are so many examples I can think where that has been really key. If I think of one example in one of my boards, you know, an M&A transaction fell over and how do you convey that to the market? And it was so far advanced. So it was seen as quite catastrophic that it didn't go ahead. You know, the ability for the CEO to come to you and not be afraid is very important. Another one in in private business that I'm thinking of, you know, founder issues, Mm. to be able to be the the independent board director that helps resolve some of those in a private business, also an important skill. There are just so many examples, but the common theme for me is trust, respect, care, and that business definition, I guess, that comes in of, of love, where love is actually a point of differentiation, I think. It's safer to go and tell someone who's not going to bite you when you walk in the room the difficult news. And when their first reaction is of compassion, are you okay? Or is everyone else okay? Or okay, are our stakeholders okay? And what are we going to do about it? How can I help? If you start from that place of care and compassion, you're more likely to hear about the uh, negative news sooner and be able to do something about making it better. And it's interesting in some of those examples you've just shared, you know, love and kindness in the boardroom is not being nice all the time and it's not that everything is good all the time. It's making the hard decisions as well. It's communicating the hard decisions, which can be really hard, but that is also often an act of love and kindness. 
absolutely right. So I don't subscribe to the words. You know, you hear so many uh, expressions that I often rebel against, which is, you know, you've got to be cruel to be kind. I think that's one of them. So I don't agree with that. I don't subscribe to you need to be cruel to be kind. I know what kind of people mean when they say you might need to deliver some, you know, harsh reality to someone in order to ultimately be kind to them, but you don't need to be cruel. Yes. I don't think there's room for cruelness. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's room for vengefulness either. So I do think, however, a kind thing to do is to have integrity and and be honest in your dealings and respectful, but you combine the two. Yeah. And that makes it kind. So when you and when someone knows that's what they can expect from you, look, she's going to tell me what she thinks. He's going to tell me what he thinks. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to say, oh, she's going to tell me what she thinks because she's insensitive, doesn't deliver it in a nice way, isn't thoughtful in the way. No, that's that's not kind. Yeah. Sometimes, but truth telling, when linked again to that compassion and love and kindness side of things that that truly is one of the kindest things you can do is to tell people what it is that you see Mm. what is your perspective and that gives them a chance to respond and take the advice on board or otherwise there's a chair of a board that I've worked with um that I've been on the board with and I often describe her as being both direct and quite warm so she'll give you very direct feedback but somehow you come away feeling like you've just had a hug. And I think that's probably some of the things you're communicating here. You can give direct feedback. You can make the hard decisions. You can communicate the hard decisions. It doesn't have to be, as you say, cruel to be kind. It can just be kind and direct and warm. Absolutely. And I think, again, if I'm reflecting back to the boardroom culture and another word that I know that you and I talked about in another discussion was fun, I Mm. think, again, having those frivolous moments, having those those moments that sort of when things are really tough sometimes there's a person who just knows how to take off some of the heat you know so about mixing it all up mixing up the humanity the best of our of ourselves and delivering that not just in times of trouble but all the time so that people can come to rely on an atmosphere and are not fearful to come and present to the board or nervous that they won't take everything into account or they'll jump to a conclusion prematurely for example so you know I think fun's an incredible element to mix in and in the same way as there's space for love and kindness there's space for fun even in very seemingly rigorous and important organizations. Yeah so I'm wondering then in in this world of virtual board meetings virtual everythings it feels to me like it's a bit harder to get fun and love and kindness in the virtual boardroom than it is in the real true life. Are there any suggestions that you've got for boards around bringing some of this feeling that we're talking about to the boardroom in the virtual environment? Any tips you've got there? You're spot on that it is it is just not the same and it's just not as good particularly when you like each other. I'm not saying we all want to go on a, on a camping trip together. So I'm sure we've all got busy lives and we may not be top of each other's list for going on that. So then I'm, so I'm not talking about that degree of spending time together, but we do really look forward to it on boards like a TCV. And so it's not as fun to be disconnected and separated by borders mm. and through necessity. So what is it it's meant in our boardrooms that I've been in? You have to do a little bit extra. So in order to, you know, I think some board meetings need to be broken up into smaller chunks 
in order to be mindful and of people's mental health and their ability to focus on a screen for that amount of time because you want to promote the opportunity for good decision making and people's well-being. So I think there's also mindfulness around how people are feeling, reaching out to them, making space for extra conversation just about life, making sure you're having a conversation to understand or allowing space for a conversation to understand about the person. So it's t- it takes extra because you don't have that incidental conversation. You don't have all of that body language that you get that's still lost over a Zoom, for example. So things that we've done is we check in, we check in on each other, we leave space at the beginning of a board meeting just to talk about how people are, mm-hmm. where are they, how are they, so that if anything wants to be brought up, it can be brought up and uh, celebrated or empathised with. Uh, there have been other things we've done to maintain collegiateness and fun. So, you know, every so often you might have a board dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, you can deliver globally, you know, within local sourcing, so it's not an outrageous cost you can deliver people a, a cheese board and so you're not having your dinner but maybe a couple of times a year you can have the cheese board a bit difficult if maybe you don't like eating cheese uh, in the morning so uh, you know you have to set the times internationally but toasted uh, cheese something toasted. that you can have something very similar and pull it out together yeah. And, uh, you know, you can put a silly Christmas hat on at Christmas time. So there are various things you can do to ameliorate what is not an optimal situation. It is far from optimal. But mm-hmm. the, perhaps the most important thing is to remember that a lot of people won't, you may have an open Zoom, open door policy. Okay. <laughs> But a lot of people won't walk through your virtually open door unless you reach out and say, just checking in, 15-minute catch-up. You'll mm. be amazed at how, or maybe not amazed, but I am I am often amazed at how you think you're approachable, but still a lot of people won't walk through the door. So I think, yeah, outreach is really important, not waiting for someone to knock on your door and say, hey, can we yeah. catch up over Zoom? Oh, Cassandra, I totally knew this would happen. The time goes ridiculously quickly, particularly when we're talking about such an incredibly engaging topic. So I'm wondering, what are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? A loveless, compassionless board is much riskier than one that is filled with love and compassion and kindness. Don't buy the lie that to be a good decision maker and make practical decisions and pragmatic ones when needed requires you to leave your emotional intelligence at home. So bring yourself to the boardroom, role model that for others. Not every board is going to be the right board for you. So really, before you join one, check its culture. Mm -hmm. I've definitely made mistakes in the past and they hurt. And if you're not a good fit for someone else, it doesn't help them either. It's not just you that gets hurt. So I would take all of those on and, and, you know, I don't know if there are any, any of your listeners that like books, but recently, and this is a book from 2002 and I'm just picking up now so you may hear me turning the pages. I read it and 2002 and I read it and I just kept underlining things. You know, he talks, it's called Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. I really recommend to all of you to, 
it's it's short and you can skim read some of it. Yeah. It talks about being a love cat and for some people that will feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Maybe that's why you need to read it. But, you know, in this book it says on page three, you know, what is it to be a love cat? And Tim Sanders, uh, the author, says, it is to offer your wisdom freely, give away your address book to everyone who wants it and always be human. Now, there's a way we can talk about that, whether it's in a board circumstance or in a corporate environment, but do not just share your wisdom and your networks freely. Do absolutely share your humanity freely. Uh, it is so needed in the current environment. It is so vital to making better decisions and helping restore, restore us to a better normal. So please, I urge you, to be part of the change, bring yourself to work. And if you need a book, Love is the Killer app, Tim Sanders. Fantastic. I'll make sure we put a link to that book in the show notes and it may even appear in the future in the new Take On Board book club reading list. Um, but I'll definitely make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. Oh, thank you, Cassandra. What a fabulous conversation. I know people are going to take a lot away from this, both about leading boards if they're chairs or about being in the boardroom and bringing their full self so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your love and kindness with the take on board community today thank you very much for sharing yours hi there it's Helia. that's a wrap for the take on board podcast today i do this podcast because i love bringing good women together so it's great to be able to share these conversations that i'm having with these amazing group of women with you now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.